Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Ninety-seven point three CTFM. This is Eyewitness News live from our studios at number eleven. Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra. My name is Ni Lati Lati here tonight. Akusia Ochre. And coming up over the next ninety minutes, government still unsure of exactly when Ghana will take stock of childhood vaccines to tackle shortage, as Health Minister gives another two to three weeks time frame despite the payment for the vaccines. There are certain things or certain activities that are not controlled from the ministry when it comes to vaccine ordering, procurement, shipping and all that. We have done the necessary things that we need to do. Place our orders about a week ago, done all the necessary arrangements with the UNICEF people. They have given us indication. We don't know how quickly they're going to get air freight to come. We are pushing them to do, that is why I'm saying between two to three weeks. Still on eyewitness news, respect soldiers, the response from defense minister over the inhumane battering of innocent civilians by the military in Ashaman. We are shaping up a, a country and uh, we are going to have some of these incidents, regrettable incidents happening. There. But I will still appeal to the people of Ghana to be very respectful of people in uniform. It will help all of us. But we cannot say, I will not say anything until the committee itself and us have gone on Thursday to the place and visited the place to ascertain for ourselves. And later. Sounds of excitement from patrons on City TV and City FM's Heritage Caravan in the Western Region on the penultimate day of the one-week road trip will bring you the rundown and what you have missed. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on these stories and others on Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News is live across the country on Premier FM 100.5 in Takradi Beach, 105.5 FM also in Takradi. Green FM 95.9 in Sunyani in the Bono region, Orange FM 107.9 in Kumase in the Ashanti region, Akpini Radio 96.7 MHz in Pando, Heritage FM 107.3 FM in Hohoi in the Volta region. If you are listening to us in the Northern region, this is Dasuma 99.1 in Yendi, Wed FM 88.3 in Zwarungu in the Upper East region, Westlink 88.1 FM Laura in the Upper West region, and Eagle FM 94.1 in Waliwali in the Northeast region. And later in business. Stakeholders in the agri value chain call for urgent measures to tackle food insecurity. That is in 50 minutes with Netele Nete Ajahu for the top stories in the world of business. Eyewitness News is interactive. Tell us what you make of the stories we are bringing you via WhatsApp on 0549 986 0549 
986-996. You can also uh, go on to Facebook on City 97.3 FM or on YouTube, City 2. We are streaming in there. Leave your comments under the comment section and then we will read them out to the rest of the world. This is 97.3 City FM. My name is Ni Lati Lati here with Akusua Ochi who brings us our first story from Parliament where the Health Minister just spoke. Now the Health Minister Kwekwajiman Menu says all necessary arrangements have been made for the country to take delivery of childhood vaccines. Kwekwajiman Menu says UNICEF and other vaccine producers have been informed of the emergency of the situation. Answering questions from MPs on the shortage, Kwekwajiman Menu says Ghana will have vaccines in the next two to three weeks. There are certain things or certain activities that are not controlled from the ministry when it comes to vaccine ordering, procurement, shipping and all that. We have done the necessary things that we need to do. Police are orders about a week ago, done all the necessary arrangements with the UNICEF people. They have given us indication. We don't know how quickly they're going to get air freight to come. We are pushing them to do, that is why I'm saying between two to three weeks. We are doing all things very possible to make sure that we even get some of these vaccines earlier. But the specific time frames that we put on will be very difficult for me to assure the house to do. So I come and stand here and tell you that Friday or Saturday, and things that are exogenous from the health ministry saying we have problems. But I can give assurance that within two to three weeks, we will get vaccines to start our vaccinations with. Thank you, well, well. Speaker. So within two to three weeks. You are giving a specific time. Yes, Honorable Member for Teachman North. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, for the opportunity. Since the statement has become a question and has become an answer, I rise to ask the Minister for Health whether payments have been made for these vaccines. Thank you very much. Honorable Minister. Mr. Speaker, payments have been made for the vaccines that we are anticipating. <clears throat> yeah. thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I want to ask the Health Minister, at what stock level do they do the ordering? At what stock level do you do age orders or reordering? And then also give us some information on the enormity of the matter at hand or how have you assessed the situation now and how you are attaching some degree of importance to it yes honorable minister mr speaker the procurement process begins in october to carry us through 2023 to 2024 some part of the year at least to the last quarter so we begin our procurement process the last quarter of each year. We do our quantification, pass on to UNICEF. They also review our quantification. By close of December, we might have completed. We begin to make payments when we start working on these. Now, last year, we didn't have adequate funding to be transferred into dollars to ensure us that we have covered all the dollar obligations that we needed to do. So our payments delayed somewhat. And that is what is causing this particular challenge. As I speak, we have transferred for both co-funding obligation 
and the government-funded obligation in respect of all 2022. And even the government-funded obligation, the monies that we have transferred, like I said, will give us vaccines for not less than six months. And we are working very hard to take these vaccines in the country very soon. Mr. Speaker, in my answer to the question, I think I mentioned how seriously we are taking this concern and the type of things that we are putting in place to ensure that we don't have the outbreak getting through the entire country. That is what we are doing to make sure that we can all hold and contain the situation. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yes, Honorable Member for Manchester. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I want to find out from the Honorable Minister of Health. This vaccine shortage, uh, is it the first time? If it's not, have we ever shot vaccines and which type of vaccines? And have we, have we been in areas like that a caused vaccine shortage in this country? And what period was it, if you could help me? As a doctor, Mr. Speaker, I know that this has become a very chronic thing in this country. Meningitis, in particular, has been killing people from Upper West. And before it gets to Sunyani, before they even import vaccines. No, that is not meningitis. This is COVID vaccine I'm talking about. Let me answer the question. Yes, Honorable Minister. Mr. Speaker, this is not the first time we have had vaccine shortages in this country. Honorable Minister, address me, please. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. So that was Health Minister Kwekwa Jumanmenu answering questions on the floor of Parliament on the childhood vaccine shortage. Well, I now want to bring in Kwabna Mintaka, the ranking member of the Health Committee of Parliament. He joins us on the line. Well, you, the minority in Parliament, have been pushing for uh, this moment. It's finally upon us. The Health Minister Kwekwa Jumanmenu appeared in Parliament a while ago to brief the House after his press conference earlier this week. And uh, Mr. Akanda, you asked a specific question on exactly when the vaccines will arrive in the country. The minister responded and gave a two to three weeks time frame. Are you satisfied with the answer he provided? Not at all, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because if you recall, uh, CTFM, you have done so well when it comes to I mean, bringing this issue to light. And if you recall, in as part of your engagement, the Director General for Ghana Health Service indicated about three weeks ago that the vaccines were going to be available in two weeks. Do you recall? I do. Very good. So if they indicated three weeks ago, but don't forget that we, had, we, recorded, we started recording the outbreak in October 2022. And they gave the timeline uh, within last three weeks that within the next two weeks, they will take delivery of the vaccines. And we are in the third week. And now the minister is promising additional two to three weeks. You know, the rule is that once a minister answers a question, whether the, the, the answer is appropriate or not, you cannot debate the answer. But for me, I am not satisfied. And from the posture of the minister, I do not see him to appreciate the enormity of the issue at hand, the emergency of the issue at hand. But what can we do? We will still push until we see vaccines. Because all these lengthy explanations, what we need is vaccines to save the children, the vulnerable children of this country. But for, since the outbreak, every minute, every hour, babies are born. And they have, been, they have completely been deprived of, of their immunization. And that's a worrying situation. But of course, 
we will do our best. We will continue to pile the the pressure. After two to three weeks, maximum three weeks, we will be here. We will, we will not die. We will be here. And we will go back to find out whether or not we have vaccines available. If indeed they bring the vaccines, we will all be on board for to advocate for uh, parents to bring their children for vaccination and all that. We will all be on board. Even if we have to go to the districts or regions to go and do the vaccine campaign, we will do it. We need to save the future leaders of this country. It's very important. And you see, the minister made a statement, both on the floor of the House and in the press, that uh, he will have to put on record that uh, they haven't recorded any death. Let me also put on record that in some cases, it is even better for the child to die than to have a permanent disability. You realize that if the, some of the effects of these diseases on the child, the, the person could be as old as 20, 30 years, but you still have a brain like five-year-old child. Sometimes the person will be crippled. You understand? So the impact, the effect of these diseases on a developing baby is more dire than even mere recording of birth. So for me, yes, we thank God that we have not recorded any death. But the implications, even if we have not recorded death, is also dire. And we should never be excited that we've not recorded death. That must be made clear. Well, the struggle of the health minister actually in giving a specific date or time is because of what he said or attributed the situation to what he referred to as shipment challenges. So, and so that's so how come he's unable to... Let me react to, to, to that particular to, statement. Mm. This is it's a mark of incompetence and lack of forward planning. If we had planned ahead, because in any case, the rule is that if you are planning for... This is not COVID that we just discovered. We have been fighting these diseases since 1977. So if we had made all these arrangements last year, you have to make the arrangement for the following year. And even if the vaccines were crawling, they would have been here by now. So in lack of forward planning, it's avoidable, it's highly unacceptable. For me, it has already happened. The bottom line is that we must get vaccines to save our people. But all the lengthy explanations, there's nothing that makes sense to me. I must be very honest with you. Nothing. It doesn't make sense. At the point in time, he blamed it on poor performance of the economy. I'm on the one controlling the economy. I didn't know the people who said that he had the men and that they could do better and that they had a solid team to deal with the economy. And, now, and then he went the back to baby. 2015 and 2016 where he said that there were it some arrests. It is unnecessary uh, uh, propaganda and it, it was unexpected of the minister. Unexpected of the minister. If there was passing shortage, well, the question is, were there any I mean, recorded, uh, recorded incidents or cases of measles? And in his own statement, look, one thing we are, we are losing sight of is that I think that the person didn't get shot. It, it has been, the shortage has been there for some time now, but we didn't realize it. Because in his own statement, he says, before we record an outbreak of this disease, it is as a result of accumulation of unvaccinated children. Accumulation. So it means that the thing has been in the system for some time now, but we didn't know. But it's all lack of planning. If you are blaming the economy for it, am I the one in charge of the economy? I am not. So it's lack of planning, incompetence, and the likes. But in fact, aside from the economy issue, he also today reiterated his earlier position 
as to the role COVID-19 has played in this whole global it immunization. You see, he corrected himself today. You know, if you read the statement he referred to and misled the president to also refer to, the statement was cautioning countries against this situation. The statement said that countries are prioritizing uh, COVID vaccinations up against the childhood vaccines. And so they were warning countries that they must put measures in place to get these vaccines. So when we say the low uptake of vaccines or low vaccination, it doesn't mean that vaccines are not available. In fact, at the time, because countries were not buying it, there were excess. There were so much vaccines available. So that is not true. I've gone back. I can send you the link. I'm going to read the statement. There is no way in the statement that read that uh, uh, vaccines were not available. In that case, let me tell you that there are other vaccines uh, that are being caused financed by Gabi. Why are those ones not in shortage? Why have you not run short of those vaccines? Are they produced in Jupiter? Are those vaccines produced in Jupiter? Well, that is not as I have told you already. You see, we, we should not miss the ball. What is important is that we get vaccines. So that is my target. But if we analyze the answers and the statement he has been releasing, in all humility, with the greatest respect, none, nothing in that statement makes any sense. And I'll be very honest with you. Well, it's good you made reference to the timelines. Uh, the Director General of the Ghana Health Service also made what the Minister said today and that of what uh, the Director General said is that the Health Minister was in Parliament. He said it before the House and so you can hold him accountable if he fails to deliver within that two to three weeks uh, time frame he's given. No? Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. But you see, what is important is that uh, it is because not all, not every Ghanaian can be in Parliament. That is why we are representing um, 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 you in Parliament. So every Ghanaian, in, whether in the media, in the in the public, or wherever you are, you deserve to know the truth, and you deserve that respect. You didn't, you deserve. I mean, uh, the ministers and the officials or public servants must be. I mean, officer or a public servant is speaking. The person must speak the, nothing by the truth to the people. You understand? So it shouldn't be a situation that, okay, because Parliament can take you on, when you go there, you go and speak the truth. And when it comes to the media, you can't say anything at all you like. That shouldn't be the case. So if the whole Director General of Ghana Health Service is speaking, he should carry weight. And if he says two, two weeks, it must be two weeks. But we're in the third week. And we haven't seen any vaccines. But for me, if he says, look, I pray to God. And I'm very, 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 very um, hopeful that by the end of the three weeks, all be alive and i pray that we get vaccines to save the children of this country that Mm. is my prayer but finally what do you make of the figures uh, the minister provided in the house Uh, for example he gave a breakdown on the payments made by the national health insurance authority for example and also clarified uh, that 6.4 million dollars equivalent has been paid to unicef to get the vaccines uh, on, on the floor of the house or, or as, as yes, a committee. we know, mm. and that is even what makes it more worrying that we have not taken delivery of vaccines because when the National Health Insurance Authority appeared before us, they said, say, that they have paid. They have paid. But the difference between what he is saying now and what the National Health Insurance Authority said was that he said that after their planning, because of the depreciation of the city, because of the bad performance of the economy, whatever they budgeted for could not be enough to buy. But 
Am I the one in charge of the economy? Who's that Baumia? Who said he, he had a solid team? Have you forgotten? Now you are blaming everything on the economy. We should not sacrifice the lives of the vulnerable children for anything in this country. We'll continue to speak for them. So what should we be expecting in the coming days from your end as a caucus, as far as this issue is also well, concerned? Well, number one, um, the minister is supposed to appear before the committee again. Number two, in my humble opinion, look, even if you beat him, he will repeat what he has said. Because he has repeated this thing, this is the third time. He made a press conference, he said the same thing. He gave the same thing to the, speak, uh, to the president to include in the sort of the national address, the same thing. And he has come to repeat the same thing on the floor of the house today. So for me, what I think we should do is that once he says two to three weeks, why not? But um, we should continue to advise our uh, uh, parents to take proper care of their children. And once we have vaccines at hand, they must all bring their children for their vaccination. And for me, it is a solution I am looking at. Not the lamentation that the president was doing and that the minister was also doing. No, it's not the lamentation. I'm not interested. We really appreciate your time this evening. That's Kabna Minta Kando, ranking member on the Health Committee of Parliament, uh, responding or actually reacting to the health minister's explanation that he's provided a while ago in Parliament over the shortage of childhood vaccines and the outbreak of measles in the country. News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You will come back. Now, Defence Minister Dominic Nitawol has urged Ghanaians to accord security officers the needed respect to prevent unnecessary confrontations. His comment comes on the back of the invasion of a shaman by some soldiers after killing of a young military officer. The soldiers brutalised several residents in the hope of finding the killers. Dominic Nitawol made the comment in an interaction with members of the Defence and Interior Committee of Parliament. Committee Chairman Kennedy Japon also revealed that the committee will pay a working visit to a shaman next week to get first-hand information on what really happened in the area. Here's the interaction between the minister and the committee. In fact, we met this afternoon closed doors with the Defence Ministry and the Military High Command. Then my able lieutenants, my committee members, we've met and we've come to an agreement that the members of the committee, the Minister of Defense, and the Military High Command will pay a visit on Thursday to Ashama to dialogue with the people of Ashama as well as the military high command. So for the meantime, we pleaded with our honorable member from Ashama. I don't, I don't wish to be in his shoes. Normally he's very loud on the committee, but today, <laughs> what 
what accounts you say, Bema Emre. <laughs> He's so worried. I haven't seen him so down like this before, which means it has taken a toll on him. We all sympathize with him. On behalf of the committee, we want to sympathize with the bereaved, the young soldier's family, and also sympathize with the affected victims, those who were innocently beaten. They were not part of it. But unfortunately, they got to a scene where they were not supposed to be. Or even I heard some of them were in their various homes and they knocked, they came out and beat them. I think we all have to admit as human beings that there were excesses. And therefore, we sympathize with the people of Asham. At the same time, we also sympathize with the Ghana Armed Forces for our young men taking the law into their own hands to kill one of these. But a situation like this, all we can say is that we need peace. We, as members of the committee, cannot inflame passions by going there to make comments that were annoying a fashion. We are not to do that. Our mission is to make sure we have peace in this country. The unfortunate incident that happened, we have all condemned it. And minister has even apologized on behalf of the military that they admit that they were excesses. So we are here to tell the media so far what the committee has also done and decision that we reached with Minister of Defense and the Military High Command. And it's short. We are not going to make a statement on the floor of the house until we visited the scene and paid homage or courtesy to the affected victims, listen to their side of the story before we come back and make a statement. So on behalf of my committee, I want to say a big thank you for coming to cover this short briefing for us. Thank you very much. No, but first of all, uh, I want to thank all of you and the people of Ghana uh, for that. Um, incidents like this in the life of uh, the country do happen. We are shaping up a, a country, and uh, we are going to have some of these incidents, regrettable incidents happening. But I will still appeal to the people of Ghana to be very respectful of people in uniform. It will help all of us. But we cannot say, I will not say anything until the committee itself and us have gone on Thursday to the place and visited the place to ascertain for ourselves. Uh, one of the reasons why we are not going immediately is that investigation is still ongoing. We don't want to compromise whatever investigation uh, that will happen. And that's why we, uh, we task our, our colleague to tone down on the statement so that we can all work together as unionism to ensure that this tricky situation is brought under control. We want a peaceful Ghana, that's all. So after Thursday, you will hear from us. Thank you very much. The 
you had a, a defense minister, Dominic Nitowal, earlier, you had a chairman of the Defense and Interior Committee of Parliament, Kennedy Ijapon. James Agaga is member of parliament for Busan North and also ranking member on the Defense and Interior Committee of Parliament. He joins us on the line on this same subject matter. Good evening to you, Honorable. Uh, given the gravity of the situation currently at hand and the cry of these residents in Asaiman, uh, why would the committee wait until next week before moving to the troubled community? Hello, Honorable. Uh, apologies there. It appears you do not have James Agaga, ranking member on the Defence and Interior Committee of Parliament and also the member of Parliament for Busa South. Uh, but a, a group calling itself Assignment Lives Matter is calling on President Ekufado to ensure that military officers who meted out brutality on residents of Ashaiman are brought to book. In an interview with City News, a convener of the group, Emmanuel Nas, says the action was uncalled for and asked the president uh, to take action. We'll be hearing from the group shortly, but James Agaga, a ranking member on the Defense Committee of Parliament, has joined us uh, hopefully on a better line. Good evening to you, Honorable, and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Thanks for having me. Mm. Well, the committee has indicated that it will be uh, moving to the community next uh, week, Thursday. But I'm just wondering, because of the situation and how residents are crying for help, why would you wait till next week, Thursday, before you move to the community? Well, I think the minister, in his um, interaction with the media in the early part of uh, the day, made it very clear that the committee took the decision not to um, go to a shaman, uh, you know, at a time when the police, uh, the, the DIA officials are currently at the scene of the commission of uh, the alleged crime, the infliction of brutality on you know, the people of Ashaman, etc. The place at the moment is, you know, a crime scene. I mean, some investigation is ongoing. And so if the committee were to proceed, uh, you know, immediately, we stand to compromise the investigations and, and, and their outcomes. And so, I mean, we all agreed that would wait till um, Thursday, by which time the... Um, investigations, preliminary investigations that are being conducted would, would, would have been concluded. Then we'll proceed to, um, you know, the, the uh, shaman and engage with the uh, various uh, stakeholders and then return to parliament uh, and take decisions, which would in the long run um, assure, assure uh, a return to peace and uh, security in the shaman area. So today, when the committee met, are you able to share with us some of the issues you looked at and the way forward in, in terms of this particular issue? Yes, I would be um, constrained to uh, just tell you a few of the issues we discussed, which can be shared. Some can definitely not be shared because of the very nature uh, and, and how sensitive some of the information shared with us uh, uh, is. And so let me start by saying that um, the committee, first of all, expressed regret at the 
gruesome murder of the young soldier by certain unscrupulous individuals in the Ashaman area. So we extended our condolence to the bereaved family through the military high command, and of course, the military high command itself. But after that, we demanded to know what must have occasioned the conduct of such an operation since the military high command itself uh, uh, took responsibility for being the ones who sanctioned the operation. I mean, they explained to us and made it very clear that they did not go there to avenge the death of the young soldier because they had picked up some intel, some intelligence way back and they made certain disclosures that I, I, I cannot share for now because it borders on intelligence. But according to them, what actually broke the camels back and made it very compelling for them to move was definitely uh, the murder of the young soldier. But they had planned the operation long before the murder of the young soldier. That was um, the narrative of the uh, military high command. Now, as a committee, we interrogated, of course, that particular position taken by them, that, you know, the um, reason why they did the operation in Ashama had nothing to do with avenging or seeking vengeance due to the death of the soldier. We interrogated that, you know, in, in, in detail. I mean, they, I can't share the details for obvious reasons. But, 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 but having said that, the committee then, took the position that it was very important for us to visit a shaman together with the military high command minister and uh, his uh, outfit to do some preliminary assessments alongside the uh, investigations that would have been conducted by the time we get there and uh, once we make those assessments we would um, return to parliament as a committee and then um, we take certain decisions, make certain recommendations with the hope that we don't have a repetition of what happened at Ashaman. But Honorable, these explanations and in fact the responsibility that the military high command has taken over uh, the deployment and the mayhem suffered by these residents, two wrongs obviously do not make a right. Yes, so the military high command apologized. First of all, they admitted that they were excesses. They were excesses. The way and manner the operation was conducted was not how they intended it to uh, be. So they apologized for the uh, excesses that uh, we're all very critical about, you know. And so it is one of the reasons why we took the decision that in the light of the admissions made, we needed to uh, visit a shaman uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, pay a visit to the deceased soldier's family, because remember that this is a young soldier who was killed in cold blood. I mean, the military has lost, the parents of the soldier have lost, Ghana has lost. I mean, then we would also pay a visit to those victims who were brutalized and, and unjustly, without any justification. We saw how women were tortured, I mean, even children were flogged, etc. I mean, that cannot be happening in this time and age. 
to the decision was taken that we visit the victims on the one hand, the family of the deceased soldier, and when we have done that, we can come together and take certain decisions. Remember that uh, the MP for the area has been calling for the payment of compensation. I've heard some others uh, talk about compensation payments as well. At the moment, it's too early in the day for the committee to uh, uh, make certain conclusive statements. When we visit a shaman and return to parliament, definitely we'll be able to make uh, some uh, recommendations, uh, which in the long run, I mean, should should forestall uh, any future reoccurrence of what we saw at a shaman. So, Honorable, uh, we'll be wishing you well as you visit the community next Thursday, and then I'm sure that whatever you find there, you'll be sharing with us here on 97.3 CTFM. But that's uh, James Agaga, member of the Defence and Interior Committee of Parliament, and also the Member of Parliament for Busan North. We are staying with this development because uh, the Member of Parliament for Kunkatamansu has also been making some wild allegations and painting a picture of some horrible things. Uh, that the military is said to have done to some of its residents. In fact, he states categorically that some of the residents or constituents were forced to consume cow dunk and waste water from a slaughterhouse by some of the military officers. Hopefully, uh, Thankfully, he's joined us on the line to explain further what really happened in his constituency. He is Joseph Akwete Tete. A good evening to you, Honorable, and thank you for joining us here on Eyewitness News. You've been g gathering uh, all these from your residents. It was really a traumatizing moment for them, isn't it? Uh, very well, so good evening to your cherished listeners. Uh, in fact, when the incident happened, the information we take that was happening at Ashaiman. But uh, later we got the information that the military moved to uh, Turaku. If you know, Ashaman ran about towards Akosomo. Mm. Uh, just after they ran about, about 300 uh, meters on your right, that place falls under my uh, conscience. And so I had reports, and the reports are so, so barbaric and inhumane. If you know that place very well, where this uh, the slaughterhouse is, is not well established. So the water that they used to uh, in, in their activities uh, normally pours on the ground. So it's a dirty water. And uh, the information I'm picking is that when the whole thing happened, uh, the military compared these people to uh, drink some of this water and to swim in it. Like uh, we saw the videos in... Uh, uh, Shaiman, and uh, as you rightly said, some of them were also made to consume the cow dam. And it's something that I've got in the report from the various uh, varied uh, uh, quarters. So it's, it's something that I cannot doubt that it really happened. And uh, not that alone. But, but, but honorable, even... is it by word of mouth but that your constituents told you of you or you've seen videos and pictures to that effect? No, by word of mouth. And the explanation they gave me was that you know that place is open. It's an open place. So it's not like what happened in Ashama that people were hiding in their rooms or to take uh, So how many pictures. of them were made to suffer this particular ordeal? Oh uh, it's, 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 uh, I didn't get the actual number. They couldn't give me the actual numbers. 
But people are ready to testify at Turaku. So I will even be happy if the defense and interior uh, the committee is moving to the ground. They should also extend the activity to Ashima. Because that is uh, an area that the, uh, this really happen. Hmm. But in your and own capacity, in, in your own capacity as a member of parliament, what steps have you taken? Have you lodged a complaint uh, to the police? What steps have you taken? Yes, I was supposed to be there yesterday evening to get uh, information on the ground for myself. But when I called them yesterday evening, in fact, some of them were on the motor uh, running away from the area. Because they learned that the military came to Ashama yesterday evening and they were extending their activities to their uh, area. So uh, some of them were, uh, in fact, running away yesterday that I wanted to meet them. So the people, they are traumatized and they cannot even stay in the area to uh, do their business activities. So where are they so now? Where, where are they now? Come again. I'm asking where they are now, if they are unable to stay in the community. No, what is happening is that, you know, that area... Uh, is Ashama uh, roundabout towards Michelle Camp. Uh, I mean, so this, what we call, any time they see the military vehicle, they have to run away for fear that maybe the military are coming to their area. That is how bad the situation is. And so, uh, as we are all calling for investigation, I hope when they get to the we all get to the ground, we'll, we'll be able to get some of this information. But, but, but Honorable, please clarify for us. Is it that these persons were arrested in a Simon and they were taken to your constituency uh, to, to suffer this particular ordeal or these no, no, are no, fresh no, no, people no, no, in, no. The in, in your constituency? Yeah, there are people in my constituency. Hmm. You know, they, so they, so they, what, they, what was what, their crime? Their crime is what, uh, in fact, they extended the activity, the Ashaman military, they extended the activity to the area. You know, most of the people from Ashaman operate in that area. That's why when they bring these cutters from the north, that's where they are uh, kept, and also that's where they do most of their operations. So they move into that place thinking they can identify some of the people there they were uh, suspecting. And that is what actually took place. Most of the people from Ashama come there to do their, their uh, daily activities. So now that you have been unable to get police intervention, are we also seeing you making a statement on the floor of the house for your, your constituents? Oh, sure. Sure. When that one comes out. Mm, okay. Support it, yes. That's Joseph Akwete Tete. He is Member of Parliament for Punkatamansu here in the Greater Accra region. Earlier, I was telling you about the group in Ashaiman uh, that is asking the president to take action as far as this issue is concerned. Emmanuel Na. It's convenient for a group calling itself a Simon Lives Matter. The president need to bring those who came to brutalize the people to book. He must put them to order. He need to but let the, the the military command understand that what they did is uncalled for. Then also some of our people are still uh, with the police with the uh, military they are in the custody of the military we are seeking for immediate release of our people to join their families we also seeking that the the president will compensate the people and then make sure that properties that are destroyed will also be attended to so these are a few of the the things we we listed 
because Ashama isn't the Ashama we used to know. Ashama is very safe and calm. Uh, Ashama, as you know, have a, low, a whole lot of people who live within and also uh, come to do business here. So, in fact, what happened, we, we are condemning. Of course, we, are, we condemn the, the killers of the, of the young military because he's our pride. He's a pride of Ashama. We are happy we have a military officer uh, who will be protecting Ashama. But the fact that uh, the sudden happening, okay, that, is, that doesn't mean they should also come to do what they came to do. What makes it very, very hard to us is just some few hours after six months, this happened. Not even up to uh, 12 hours, not even up to 12 hours, the police invaded assignment to brutalize the people. Is that a six match we, we, we're talking of? What's the meaning of the six match? The military, you mean? Yes, yeah, the military, sorry. Just after that, the military was asked to come and do this. So why, why the six match? This is what is making it very bad that people and the president need to give attention and ask questions. If we knew they would, they would be coming to do this, we understand the, the military came from, they came directly from, uh, what do you call it, oh, after a six march to do this. So, so why, why the six march? You're also calling for the approbation of street lights. Uh, you think that also contributed to the killing of these military officers because there are no lines in the communities. You, you, you are right. And I wouldn't miss lines of saying this. I am an assembly member and I want to state this based on my position as an assembly member. Ashama to decide, let, let, me, let me say, Taifa uh, community to decide is in total darkness. In total darkness. We are lobbying for street lights to be given us and that is not holding water. Emmanuel Na is convener of a group calling itself Asayaman Lives Matter. In a related development, the MP for the area, NS Henry Nogwe, has asked the people to remain calm while they seek justice. Yesterday, I met the victims of the situation, and then we encouraged them. We gave them hope. All that I want to say now is that nobody should take the law into his or her own hand. Your leaders, as an MP, we are going to fight for justice. And as we are fighting for justice, we don't expect anybody, anybody, to act contrary to what we are fighting for. When you see any military man in this community, do not think he has come here because of you. Don't attack anybody. Just remain calm while we, the leaders, fight for you. Well, that's the Member of Parliament for Asaiman, uh, uh, Ernest Henry Nogbe. Uh, just now, there is a statement coming in from non-governmental organization and human rights advocacy group Amnesty International uh, condemning in no uncertain terms the military brutality in Asaiman. I want to read uh, portions of that statement for you. And then it says that, uh, what happened in no way reflects the mandate of the military, which clearly states that 
the armed forces shall be equipped and maintained to perform their role of defense of Ghana as well as such other functions for the development of Ghana as the president may determine, uh, quoting the 1992 constitution in article 210 clause 3 and in fact the statement continues to say that uh, Amnesty International Ghana is against all forms of violence and human rights abuses and condemns the violence meted out by the military on civilians. The military is to take a step back and allow the Ghana Police Service conduct thorough investigations into the unfortunate killing of the soldier. We would like to respectfully, uh, respectfully remind the President of Ghana, who is the Commander-in-Chief of the Ghana Armed Forces, uh, the Minister of Interior, the leadership of the Ghana Armed Forces and other authorities involved in law enforcement in Ghana, that they are, under their international human rights obligations, they must promptly, independently, thoroughly and effectively investigate this unfortunate uh, incident it concludes by saying that it is calling for an independent investigation as a matter of agency to ensure that the military personnel involved in carrying out human rights abuses against the people of Ashaiman are held accountable and that adequate compensation be given to these victims. We want to reiterate what the MP of Ashaiman said to the people of the area that all parties should exercise restraint and remain calm while they seek justice. So uh, those were excerpts of the statement from Amnesty International Ghana uh, condemning what happened in Ashaiman earlier this week. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Away from the main stories, let's now talk about fun and excitement on CTTV and CTFM's Heritage Caravan. Kweku Idriama Ansa, a City News reporter, he joins us on the line. Well, Kweku, you are somewhere in the Western region, wrapping up the one-week road trip. Today, what has been the experience for the caravanites? Exactly, Mila. Uh, so we are on our route to the Western region. Currently, we are around the Takwa Isium um, stretch, where we're expecting to get to Mahat Beach Resort, uh, where we are. It will be lodging, uh, hopefully in the next one hour, 13 minutes. And so we're still on our route. This is a 10-hour journey from Ebono region, that is precisely uh, from the East Bed Hotel, where patrons uh, were accommodated last night uh, when we're heading to the Western region, precisely at the travel. And, uh, the thing is that this evening, we're expecting to have a formal dinner Hello, Kweku. Hello, Kweku. Uh, sincere apologies there. We've lost Kweku Idriamansa, uh, who is updating us on day six of City TV and City FM's Heritage Caravan, telling us about their trip from the Bono region to the Western region as they prepare uh, to wrap up this one week road trip. Let's now give you a teaser. Ado! Heritage 
sounds of some excited patrons on City TV's Heritage Van. Kweku Edriamansa is back on the line. Kweku, we heard the caravanites expressing all joy on the bus. Uh, as they prepare uh, to have some fun in the Western region, tell us tonight what is happening. Hello, Kweku. We are struggling to hear you here in Accra. Can you reposition yourself? Well, apologies. We, uh, we are struggling to get Kwekwe Biyama and Sam. We will try to re-establish contact with him. And so that we tell you what you have been missing on City TV and City FM's Heritage Caravan. But this is still Eyewitness News or 97.3 City FM. We have business with Netele Nete Ajahu. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajahu. Let's settle for the details. The Denmark ambassador to Ghana, Tom Noring, is calling for stronger partnerships between Danish and Ghanaian businesses to find feasible solutions to the food wastage recorded in the country. He explains that Ghana loses about 50% of its food waste wastage. This development, he believes, can be mitigated if players in the agricultural value chain consider the gaps in the surpluses as investing opportunities. Speaking on the sidelines of a food security seminar organized by the Danish embassy in Ghana, Ambassador Tom Noring urged stakeholders to help tackle the situation. What, what we are talking a lot about is to create partnerships, strong and lasting partnerships. This can be both public-private partnerships and private-private partnerships, where we try to look at the issues at hand. In this case, we're very much looking at the, the reality of food loss in Ghana, which is that we have a, a terrible loss of about 50% of all food that's produced here is actually lost. Now, that's terrible. That's a big waste. It's a big cost for the producers, for the farmers, and it's actually a big cost at the end for the consumers because you have to produce the double amount of produce in order to get to the consumers, which automatically means that the price is going to go up on the products. So we want to reduce that food loss. We also want to do it from a more general perspective because we're in a situation where the planet is bleeding, you could say. We have the real consequences of climate change, and also here we can contribute to reducing the consequences of climate change. One of the things that we are saying very much is that we believe that these kinds of partnerships create real ownership on both sides, both, let's say, the person that, or the company that brings in the solutions and those who use the solutions. His Excellency Tom Noring is the Danish ambassador to Ghana. The chief executive officer of the Consumer Protection Agency, Kofi Owusu Uhini, is questioning the basis for the recent increment of utility tariffs by the Public Utility and Regulation Commission. He highlighted the inefficiencies associated with the supply of water and electricity to consumers. The PURC last month increased tariffs for water and electricity by 29.9% and 8.3% respectively. Addressing press conference in Accra, the CEO of the Consumer Protection Agency, Kofi Owusuhine, said the utility regulator must ensure value for money. Remember last year, utilities were increased more than four times, but in terms of supply, uh, it doesn't balance 
the supply. Just before the first quarter, that we were told that the utilities, electricity went up by I think 23 percent and water by 8 percent. I was so surprised that Ghana Water Company even came out to make an announcement that they are going to ration water in some of the communities in Ghana. If you are rationing the water, why are you asking me to pay more? Ghanaians can attest. We have challenges with prepaid meters. We have challenges with the app. We have a lot of challenges when it comes to assessing electricity and water. I mean, people's meters, uh, now we are being encouraged to get prepaid meters, which most Ghanaians have accepted. But even to get a prepaid meter has now become an issue. That was the chief executive officer of the Consumer Protection Agency, Kofi Owusu Henning. As the world marked International Women's Day yesterday, players in the agribusiness value chain are calling for innovative strategies that will facilitate easy access to finance for women within the sector. They explained that the collateral system demanded by banks usually place the women at, an, at a disadvantage. In an interview with City Business News, the immediate past vice president of the agri sector of the Association of Ghanaian Industries, Fatima Ali Mohammed, urged players in the banking sector to offer lucrative loan packages for women. Women are more disadvantaged. Um, this is a challenge across the continent, uh, not only prevalent to Ghana. But for women, again, we go back to the first conversation that I have had where it comes to this whole thing of the patriarchal approach in terms of ownership of land. How does a woman go into a bank um, or any other kind of institution and say that I'm willing to provide collateral or I'm willing to provide you know, something that can show that I will pay back? Research has shown um, by various institutions, whether it's the IFC, the World Bank and everyone else, that when you lend money to a woman, a woman pays it back immediately because she has fear of losing the roof over her head, losing you know whatever little she has. Um, so they tend to be good payback uh, individuals uh, or uh, even as a sense of community. So this is a big challenge and we're now seeing you know, certain banks, I would not want to mention them um, by brand on, on here, but there are certain banks now that are setting up desks that are supporting women in agri and are seeing that you know there is going to be a new that needs to be taken. We call with a typical banking lens, you know, of trying to scrutinize people's books and how much income they have and what collaterals they have. We need a complete overhaul in thinking of how to finance agri and specifically women. That was the immediate past vice president of the agri sector of the Association of Ghana Industries, Fatih Ali Mohammed. The Ghana Enterprises Agency, GE, has launched the Business Integrity Project as a means to combat corruption within small and medium enterprises led by women. The project takes a multi-sectorial approach, incorporating advocacy and business development services to streamline processes for these enterprises. The initiative is a joint effort with the Alliance for Integrity and the Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development. During the event, CEO of the agency, Madame Kosi Yanki Aye, emphasize the importance of collective action in the fight against corruption. So the Business Integrity Project is a partnership between um, the Government of Ghana through Ghana Enterprises Agency and the Federal Ministry of Economic Development and Cooperation with, through the uh, German Development Corporation, GIZ. And the Business Integrity Initiative was actually a program under through the Alliance for Integrity which really metamorphosed in us designing a project to support women entrepreneurs, which was then 
supposed to be embedded within Ghana Enterprises Agency. The idea behind the Business Integrity Initiative is to provide an opportunity for women SMEs to be able to work in a transparent, in a supportive, in an corruption-free environment so that they can grow their businesses, access better markets, and they can support the economy. One of the challenges we've seen and we face is that a lot of these SMEs are faced with various challenges. But through the Business Integrity Initiative, one of the things we're focusing on and we're saying is that the challenge of all that we're facing is the lack of collective action. And that to be able to address all the challenges we face, we need collective action. We need to work together. It is not one person's problem. It is not government's problem. It is not a CSO problem. That was the CEO of the Ghana Enterprises Agency, Madam Kusi Yanki Ayo. And that's it for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajahu. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City 97.3 CTFM. This is still Eyewitness News and time now for Point Blank. Tonight on Point Blank, we take you back to Parliament for excerpts of the debate on President Ekufuado's 2023 State of the Nations address that he delivered yesterday. Moving a motion for the commencement of the debate on the presentation, the Deputy Majority Leader... Alexander Penomarkin said, despite the economic challenges, the government and the president have been candid with the citizenry. To move this motion to thank the president of the Republic of Ghana for his presence here yesterday, the 8th day of March 2023 to deliver to us a message on the state of the nation the speaker I come through our rules book and it became apparent to me that we do this as a matter of convention because Mr. Speaker Order 58 provides that Mr. Speaker will convey the gratitude of the House to the President upon delivery of a message on the state of the nation in accordance with Article 67 of the 1992 Constitution. Mr. Speaker, in yesterday's statement, before us in this hallowed chamber, Mr. President made an honest assessment of our country's situation and sought for the support of all in addressing it with hope and confidence. Mr. Speaker, he dutifully did so, but by coming out with all the facts regarding the state of the economy as he met it, and the effort made by his government so far, and the future we have ahead of us. Mr. Speaker, Mr. President emphasized that we need to work together as a nation. 
and it is at the heart of this that I've moved this motion for us to thank you, Mr. President, with emphasis on five key areas. First, Mr. Speaker, I will deal with the state of the economy. Second, deal with the claim that this government has recklessly followed and misused the proceeds. Third, I will deal with the massive road expansion Ghana has seen under this government. And fourth, emphasize investment in building the requisite human resource to support Ghana's transformation. And finally, Mr. Speaker, I will underscore the emerging revival of Ghana's economy. But it is important, Mr. Speaker, to indicate that proud to the coming into office of the MPP administration, we had a certain state of the Ghanaian economy. And during the campaign, NPP did not only engage in sloganeering, but outlined its alternative policies. And these alternative policies included free SHS, free training college allowance, free nursing training college allowance, and above all, the NPP administration promised Ghanaians that then high utility tariffs will be reduced. Again, the MPP in opposition made a strong case for a reduction in taxes as well as waiver of certain levies that the NPC had imposed at the time. Mr. Speaker, true to the words of the MPP, when it assumed office in 2017, efforts were made immediately to introduce the free SHS. And if there is no doubt on our minds as a people that the free SHS has really helped the many who otherwise will not have had the opportunity to benefit from secondary education. Mr. Speaker, I use myself as an example how I struggled, how I struggled to complete St. Augustine's. But for the bursary introduced by Dr. Parkway Syndrome, I wouldn't have completed St. Augustine's College to be here serving the people of Ifutu. And I know there are thousands of Ghanaians who, as a result of poverty, could not, could not benefit from secondary education. So therefore, Mr. Speaker, if today the chorus out there is that government has spent so much, what Mr. President is telling Ghanaians and is telling the cynics is that we have introduced a major social intervention program, which in spite of the challenges we face as a country, we are still implementing successfully. Mr. Speaker, again, utility tariffs, especially electricity, was a major burden on Ghanaians. The NDC at the time had said, because of the high cost of production, it could do nothing about it. In spite of all the calls by Ghanaians for a reduction in electricity tariffs, the then president, John Dramani Hamahama, was clear that given the circumstances, it, he could not 
reduce tariffs. But the record bears out that today, when the MPP assumed office, steps were taken and major announcements were made from 15 to 30 percent reduction. Households enjoyed rebates on electricity tariffs, industry enjoyed rebates. So, Mr. Speaker, this is an honest government which walks the talk, which says and implements, which does not limit itself to campaign sloganeering. Mr. Speaker, let me come to taxes. I would not want to go into specifics to bore you, but I would want to rely on Hansa to say and underscore that all of us were witnesses to the many taxes that we abolished, the many taxes that we reduced when we came into office in 2017, 2018, 2019. As a house, we know what the government did. This is a government that did not undertake a journey to begging Ghanaians. This is a government that undertook a journey to relieve the Ghanaians of the burden that they were enduring under the previous NDC administration. But Mr. Speaker, here we are. COVID struck. Ukraine-Russia war, which we never expected, which is affecting global economic trade, is hitting us as a country. Ghana is not an island. Yet, the very people who had an opportunity for eight years to transform lives and could not are the same people who are criticized by their that in spite of the crisis we find ourselves, of which the government of the Nanaku Fado has made every effort to keep our lights on, in spite of all the challenges we face, the government has made effort to sustain the free SHS program. What is the alternative? What is the alternative? Today, the president was very honest in admitting that we are in crisis and called on all of us to join him in solving the challenges we face. As a government in waiting, as a major opposition party, have they been able to tell us their policy alternative? Have they been able to tell us what they are going to do to make life better? But Mr. Speaker, the only thing they've been sound, they've been clear and unambiguous on is Article 71. The only thing they seem to be clear is a populist slogan of dealing with Article 71. And even so, Mr. Speaker, they are under the impression that it is only the executive that benefits from Article 71. Mr. Speaker, they have forgotten that Article 71 has to do with the judiciary and other arms of government and not only the executive. And even so, by the imperatives of Article 290, it is not just a mere presidential or executive fiat that will take away Article 71. It requires a referendum which will come at a cost. And this is coming from a government now in opposition that enjoys the bona fides of governance. This is coming from a leader who has been vice president, 
member of parliament, president, and did not think about all of these. But today, enjoying the liberties of opposition to make some of these populist statements. The MPP, under Nanado, is clear on which destination it is taking this country. The MPP is firm in its beliefs that it believes in the entrepreneurial spirit of the Ghanaian, and that is why, Mr. Speaker, in spite of all these challenges, steps have been taken to put our lights on. Steps have been taken to ensure that in spite of major economies suffering from power outages in Ghana, in Ghana, our businesses and households enjoy regular supply of electricity. South Africa, Mr. Speaker, is seeing doom so. Mighty Nigeria is seeing doom so. But in Ghana today, we are not experiencing doom so. Mr. Speaker, the President was apt and honest by telling us, and quote at paragraph 13 of his speech, Mr. Speaker, I believe that the issue above all that is quite properly dominating the concerns of all Ghanaians is the gravity of the economic situation of our country and how we can quickly stabilize the economy and work our way back to the period of rapid economic growth. I sat in this chamber yesterday and I thought somehow I was living in paradise. The picture of the country that I had the president paint made me think that the president is not part of us. The president does not appreciate the suffering and the pain and the difficulties that Ghanaians are going through. Unfortunately, after painting paradise, he then said he's gone to IMF to ask them to remove us from hell. So I was saying, why that contradiction? If you have managed this economy so well and everything is so beautiful, how come you are now with the IMF? Not that you are just with IMF, but you don't even qualify to be given a loan by the IMF unless you decide to take people's money that they have given you that you have refused to pay from them. Unless you go around the whole international community begging them to beg your friendly nations to forgive you your debts. But Mr. Speaker, the sovereignty of a country resides in the trust and the credibility of that country. And that when a country borrows, your biggest pride is your ability to pay. Immediately you get to the point where you say you cannot pay, you become a country of straw, and your sovereignty means nothing to the investor. And that is where we are as a country. Mr. Speaker, I heard the President trying to compare what he inherited in 2016 to the economy that he managed. Mr. Speaker, let me put it on record that in 2015-2016, our neighbors and the global economy went into recession. Our neighbors, Nigeria, was in recession. Congo was in recession. Ghana was never in recession. And if you understand what it is to record 3.6% when your neighbors are in recession recording negative growth, you will salute His Excellency John Dramani Mahama for prudence and better economic management. But Mr. Speaker, we did this. We did this without borrowing one penny from the Bank of Ghana. For you, you are borrowing 55 billion in one year from the Bank of Ghana. 
You borrowed 35 billion in the previous year from Bank of Ghana. Cumulatively, you borrowed 90 billion of printed money at the Bank of Ghana. His Excellency John Dramani Mahama delivered this economy that was a recession across the globe without taking a penny from the Bank of Ghana. And I want you to learn from the good example of John Dramani Mahama. And if they don't, the IMF will impose it on you that you should not borrow again from the Bank of Ghana. Mr. Speaker, the economy that they inherited in 2017 was such a solid economy that they raised all the money to finance the budget from Ghana without going to a normal market. How can you inherit an economy that financed your budget fully, that gave you all the money that you need, and you didn't have to go to raise Eurobond money, and yet you said that was a damaged economy? When you now start developing your proper economy, you started going to have, uh, the, the European market to take $3 billion a year. $3 billion a year. And you were going as if it was free money until the economy crashed. And you realize that there is no free lunch and you need to pay. But Mr. Speaker, in the same period that His Excellency John Gamani Mahana ran this economy, in 2016, he invested 3.4% of the total GDP on infrastructure. So when we call John Mahama the king of infrastructure, that is the evidence that people know. Unlike you, who will come and say you have constructed kilometers of roads without mentioning those roads, John Mahama will mention a hospital just here at the bridge. We will mention the University of Ghana Medical School. We will mention clear facilities and we don't count our infrastructure in kilometers because we want you to identify the road. You even come to my region and you still talk about kilometers. Can't you point to the road? And that was it's strange that you would make the argument that because the Minister for Roads is busy answering questions every Friday in Parliament, which is a sign that the roads are not being done, that is why he's always here. If the roads are done, he will be here. It is because the roads are not done, he spends all his Fridays in the chamber and not at the ministry because he must answer why he's not developing our roads. Mr. Speaker, when you manage an economy, you manage an economy just, not just for growth, you manage an economy within sustainable framework. You must make sure that your fiscal framework is so sustainable that you can continue to generate the growth for several years to come, not for some years to come. I feel very, 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 very sad that yesterday the president lost the opportunity to rally the nation. He was supposed to present the state of the nation address and not the state of COVID address to the people of Ghana. What the president did yesterday was to blame COVID for everything and exonerate himself. That is what the president did yesterday. But unfortunately for the president, we will debate the state of the nation and will set the record straight. And I want to set the record straight from following up from what the deputy majority leader said. He said that President Mahama said he cannot reduce electricity. Deputy majority leader, you might want to check the archives. What you said is completely false. In June 2016, we reduced electricity tariffs by 
that is a fact. Because we can, we can have our own sex of opinion. Because we can, I quote from another source, President John Dramani Mahama has been commended for taking a bold and excellent initiative in reducing the much criticized electricity tariff. Source, Ghana Business News, that is one, to Ghana News Agency. We speak with facts. On this side of the house, we speak with facts. We just don't argue. And so when I point the facts to you, what you have to do is to contravene this fact with facts. I've not, I've given the source, I've given the dates, and I've given the media houses. When it comes to the electricity sector, Mr. Speaker, this same government, and I'll quote again, Mr. Speaker, everything I say, I'll give the source. And so we had portions of the debate in Parliament on the 2023 State of the Nations Address as presented by President Nana Adudankwa Ekufado. And that's it by way of today's edition of Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. The show was produced by Kobna Wilson, Beverly London and Sami Riafe. Technical support coming in from Daniel Squashi. My name is Ni Lati Lati. We return tomorrow with another edition of Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.